Let's open the word of the Lord to the book of Joshua and find chapter 2 and verse 11. This morning we're taking our second look at the amazing conversion of the woman we met last Lord's Day named Rahab. That's a name we associate with harlotry, for she was a woman of ill repute, but a citizen of a pagan nation, a pagan city-state called Jericho. And yet, as we looked at Rahab's story, as we started at last Lord's Day, we, we note the remarkable beauty. It is a beautiful story. It is the, the evidence, the beautiful evidence of the sovereign grace of God coming to her town, coming to her life. And she will now figure very prominently in the conquest and destruction of that walled city called Jericho. You might remember that she had met the two spies that Joshua had dispatched to the city on a reconnaissance mission to look it over before the invasion began. And how Rahab was moved by the reports that she had heard of all the things that God had done for the covenant people. And having her heart stirred by the Spirit of God, by the word of God's redemptive power, Rahab makes a striking confession of faith. And this striking confession, which we will again look at in just a moment, demonstrated the previous work of the Spirit of God in her heart long before the spies got there. By faith, this woman named Rahab stood up to the king of Jericho. She misled him, and she protected the spies from discovery and sent them on their way safely. And by protecting those spies, the promise to Abraham that that would be their land that that would be their inheritance, comes to fulfillment through this woman named Rahab. Oh, she is most unlikely. But she is the first candidate, the first candidate for the gospel, the first convert to the gospel in that wicked place called Jericho. There by faith, Rahab joined the covenant nation. In that moment, she became a daughter of Israel. She became a child of Abraham. She received the covenant blessings. And God's promise to Abraham that we've read this very morning, that he would bless the nations through him, is coming true in this one woman whose name is Rahab. And most importantly, in this moment, in this moment of her conversion, Rahab joins the holy war that God is waging against all his unrepentant enemies. This morning we're going to read more about her conversion and the immediate aftermath of her conversion. What happened to her? And what happened to her is very important, for she not only comes to faith, but her faith is confirmed. Her faith brings forth beautiful fruit, the fruit of salvation, the proof that the Lord lived in her, the proof that the Lord saved her and redeemed her. And before we read our text, let's remember that when we make such a leap, when we think about Rahab, in terms of one who was saved by grace through faith and one in whom the Spirit of God is working. We're on very good ground for the New Testament takes this name, Rahab, this very story, and begins to work it out for the church. Rahab becomes very important for the church in the New Testament. And we begin by remembering that in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew lays out the genealogy of Jesus. He begins with Abraham. And he begins tracing the lineology, or rather the genealogy of Jesus through Abraham on down through those people that gave birth to the Savior. 
And lo and behold, he lists Rahab as one of the direct descendants of Jesus. In other words, Rahab, this harlot, was a foremother of the Savior. Our Savior came through the line of this harlot named Rahab. What a magnificent display of grace and power and wisdom. Here the Lord is showing his wisdom in a hidden way. He is showing his power in a hidden way. What looks shameful and despised of the world, God is using to shame the wise and to shame the powerful, to take away any room for boasting. It is amazing that through this woman Rahab, the Savior we worship today came into the world. But she's also an example for us. And we remembered last Lord's Day how that inspired author of the epistle to the Hebrews uses Rahab as a person who exemplified saving faith in Christ. And he says of her that she by faith withstood the king and delivered the spies safely. And what she did is an example of those who truly know the Savior. And then along those same lines, the very brother of our Lord Jesus, the half-brother of our Lord James, in his little epistle, uses the name Rahab, uses the story of this very woman, and says that she, like Abraham, is one who proved the reality of her faith by what she did. Listen to his words. She, like Abraham, was justified by works when she received these messengers and sent them out by another way. Rahab was saved by grace and saved only by God's grace through faith. But her faith went to work. Her faith proved itself. And that's the story we investigate this morning as we come to this passage. And one other thing to remember before we see the results of Rahab's faith. It's very interesting that in the Gospel of Matthew as Jesus is ending his ministry... You might remember the triumphal entry, and he comes for the last time to the city of Jerusalem, and he makes a statement, and he names this woman's occupation, and we do the math and make the connection, and we see the the story that Jesus tells, the gospel that Jesus tells, and he says to those Jewish authorities who rejected him, who would not repent, who heard his message, and yet charged him with being a blasphemer, he says, truly I say to you, Truly I I say to you, scribes and Pharisees and those who reject the gospel, that tax collectors and prostitutes will go into the kingdom before you. And isn't it something that the story of Rahab comes full circle in the very words of Jesus, that she has a place in the kingdom of God because that's what God does. He saves the lost. And 1,400 years after the story of Rahab, The Savior she believed in came to this earth, and he saved you, and he saved me in his life and death and resurrection. Well, let's see what Rahab did. Chapter 2 of Joshua, we pick up the story in verse 11. This is Rahab talking to the spies. We'll jump in right to the middle of the action and read through verse 21. Rahab says, As soon as we heard it, that is the reports of God's great deliverances, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I've dealt kindly with you, 
you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and my sisters and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the spies, the men said back to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. And then verse 15. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. And then afterward, you may go your way. And the men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you will tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and your mother and your brothers and all your father's household. If anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and we will be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you've made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. And then she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. And this is the word of the Lord. And now may the Lord richly bless its proclamation. Let's think about the evidence of faith, the evidence of faith. And we see lines of evidence in this story. We see several lines of evidence proving that Rahab really was changed, that she really met the God of grace. And one of those evidences meets us right at the beginning. It's the evidence in her confession. It's what she Said. Let's go back and remember what she said to the spies. Verse 11. The Lord your God, she says, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now, she had come to that conclusion. She had come to that confession because word of God's activities had spread among the Canaanites. And specifically, that the Lord had saved Israel at the Red Sea. You notice that in verse 10. Rahab and the Canaanite population and those living in the walled city of Jericho heard how the Lord delivered his people at the Red Sea and goes further than that. He dried up the water of the Red Sea, clearly a miraculous event. The Lord dried up the Red Sea and he allowed his people to cross on dry land and then he closed the sea back on the army of Egypt and destroyed them and he saved his own people and word of that great act of salvation had come to the Canaanites and Rahab heard it and she believed it. She believed that it was true and her heart was prompted and moved by the Holy Spirit and and she began to renounce her pagan gods and to confess that Yahweh is the one true God and so there's this lovely, lovely commentary by John Calvin as he reflects on this amazing confession of Rahab the harlot, he says, as if reflected in a mirror, her confession begins by casting down all idols and ascribing the government of the heavens and the earth to the God of Israel alone. 
And here Rahab declares, as Calvin writes so beautifully, in absolute terms, that whatever power exists resides in the God of Israel alone and that he commands all of the elements, that he orders all things, all things above and all things below, and he determines human affairs. What a confession. Your God, Yahweh, is the God above and below. He is the sovereign king. And only someone's whose heart had been changed by the miraculous resurrection power of the Spirit would make such a confession. She confessed with her mouth, Yahweh is Lord. And she believed in her heart that God had raised his people from the dead at the Red Sea. And she was saved. Her confession bears the evidence of her salvation. She had a new heart, and her mouth reflected it. With her mouth, she confessed, Yahweh is Lord. But there's another line of evidence, and that's in her request. She makes a request of the spies. There's this newfound faith brimming up in her heart, and she makes a request of these two unnamed spies. She says in verse 12, Please swear to me by the Lord, the Lord whose existence and glory and power I've just confessed, that as I've dealt kindly with you, and underline that word kindly, as I've dealt kindly with you, you will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sign, give me a sign that you will save alive my family and that you will deliver them from death. There are several compelling and moving elements to that request. The first is this mention of kindness. That is not accidental. She, she says, I've dealt kindly with you and, and I want you to deal kindly with me. It, it just so happens that that word translated kindly in our English translations is one of the most important Old Testament, in fact, one of the most important biblical words of all. The word kindness. It is central to the whole plan of redemption. In fact, you might say that the whole plan of redemption finds, finds its apex in that one word, kindly, or kindness. It is translated by a lot of different words in Scripture depending on the context, but, but strangely enough, it is a word that most of the time speaks of God's mercy, God's mercy to his own people, the people of his choosing, the people who were the objects of his elective mercies. For example, the same word translated kindly appears in the second commandment of the Decalogue. Do you remember the Lord commands that no idols should be constructed and we should not bow down to them or serve them. And the Lord says, if you do, remember the Lord visits the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But, and here's the part you need to listen to, but showing steadfast love. Same word translated kindly in the mouth of Rahab. But showing steadfast love or infinite kindness to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. It's, it's his it's his love. It's his mercy. It's also translated loving kindness in the Bible. 
You might remember Exodus 34. Moses is on top of Mount Sinai. The Lord summons him there. And then the Lord appears to Moses. The presence of the Lord, as it were, consumes the mountain. And the Lord speaks to Moses as the Lord passes by Moses. And note what the Lord says. He says, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. And Rahab uses that same word. I have dealt with loving kindness to you. Deuteronomy 7, that word appears again. Know that the Lord your God is God. He is a faithful God. He keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousand generations. And there again you can see that this word expresses covenant mercy, covenant loyalty, covenant fidelity, long-suffering. It is the act of being loyal to a promise. It is to be merciful. It speaks of God's mercy to sinners. It is the very basis of any relationship we have with God, his covenant mercies. It is the basis of the Abrahamic covenant. And Rahab uses that word of all words. You have dealt kindly with me. I will deal kindly with you. Kindness will characterize our new relation as covenant brothers and sisters. Oh, it's a special word indeed. And it's a word that only a person whose heart had been changed would use. By using this word, saying, I've dealt kindly with you, you deal kindly with me, it's proof that mercy now triumphed in the life of Rahab. She had experienced a profound mercy from God. She heard of Israel's advance. The Lord sent the Spirit to move and to open up her heart. And when those Israelite spies came, she made her confession that Yahweh is Lord before them because her heart had been changed. And so the story of Rahab is a story of the thrilling victory of God's mercy. And she gave mercy to the spies, and she wants mercy in return. She wants unmerited love because she's given it to them. Mercy, love, proved that her heart was changed. And now mercy, mercy defined her life. But there's something else that we see in this incredible request. She wants a blessing from the spies for her family. And this too is an evidence of her faith. It's part of the request. She seeks a sign. She wants a guarantee that when the Israelites come to destroy Jericho, that her family will be protected and delivered. Look at verse 12 again. Now then swear to me by the Lord, the Lord whose name I've just confessed. My Lord now. Not the God of the Canaanites, but Yahweh is my Lord. And by, by that name, please swear to me that you will protect my family. You'll save my father and my mother and my brothers and all who belong to them. This is a request coming from love, a new love. 
She wants her family to be spared the certain wrath of God. She knows why the Israelites are coming. They are not coming to have a, 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 a party. They're not, they're not coming on a tourist stop. They are coming to destroy Jericho. They will not leave anybody alive who doesn't confess Yahweh as Lord. They're going to flatten the place. And she knows that her people deserve the wrath of God, and yet she turns and thinks of her own family, and she wants them to know the Lord she knows. And so there's this love. Now, that's understandable. For who would not want their own family to be spared sudden destruction? destruction? But I would submit to you that this is, this is a new love for her family. This is a new concern. Something richer and deeper is moving in her heart to stir her concern for her family. And that something different has been born in the soil of her new faith in the God of Israel. Her concern now is not for herself. It is for her household. Verse 13, my mother, my father, my brothers, my sisters, my my whole extended family. This is now a sacrificial love. Something has changed her heart. Her request is born out of mercy. It is born out of love. She loves her family now in a way she didn't before. And what a a sermon that is. What a sermon that is. We should shout that from the housetops to this generation Because we are so disloyal to our own and our blood and our kin and the family of God. Loyalty to one another is a thing of the past. How often, how quickly others, our own family, are sacrificed on the altar of self-preservation and self-advancement or pleasure or the search for recognition. But not so with this new child of Abraham. She wants nothing for herself. She is concerned about her family. And she didn't have that concern before. But it's there now because she's a, she's a new person. She's thinking of those closest to her. And as she, she looks in their eyes, now she has a deeper and richer love for them because Yahweh has saved her. The God of love has filled her heart with love. And she looks to her family and she wants them to know this same God. Do, do you see that? She wants them to come to the Savior and to be spared the just wrath of God. It is a sacrificial gospel love in her heart. It is a love for the lost and the undeserving. It is a forgiving love. It is a forgiving love. Don't you know that Rahab's family was a mess? Now, now you think you got problems. She's running a brothel in her house. She's got men coming in and going out At all hours of the night, you know there is relational difficulty here. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the hurt and the pain and the sins and the harsh words and the misunderstandings that would be sounded in that home? And now, now, that's all forgotten. That is all forgiven. That's irrelevant now. The past is gone. Mercy has come, and she has a new love for them that covers a multitude of her sins and their sins, too. She will not She will not take into account a wrong suffered, to use the language of Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, and neither will her family. 
They are going to forgive her for running that brothel under their noses. They are going to forgive every harsh word, every argument, every ounce of bitterness, because mercy has come to their home. And she loves them, and she seeks their eternal welfare. She knows that a day of judgment is coming. She wants to see them protected by the wings of Yahweh's redemptive love, because that redemptive love has bloomed and blossomed in her own heart. She's a new woman. And she makes a request for their salvation born from mercy, born from a heart of love. And that's what God does. That's what his spirit does. He teaches us to love. But there's another line of evidence. And that is in her actions. We see her actions. Her faith is not only displayed by her confession and by her new attitude of love toward her family and the request she makes, but it's displayed by what she does now. We, we might put it this way. Her faith, as James would say to us, the brother of Jesus, her faith proves itself by works. Now, she's not saved by works. She's saved by grace through faith. But her real faith is alive and it prompts works. And what are those works that real faith prompts? Well, let's note a few of them. Note first her obedience, her immediate obedience to the word of the Lord. She obeys very promptly. The two unnamed spies give her some specific instructions. They represent the Lord. These spies have come with the word of Joshua and the word of the Lord on their mouths. And they give her some instructions. You can read this in verse 14 and in verse 18. And the men said to her, divinely authorized, they said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. And then verse 18. Behold, when we come into the land, you will tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And then you're going to gather your whole family into this house. Now, that's her word from the Lord. That's her command. So first, she has to keep a secret. She has to keep secret the fact that the spies had been there and that they're going to come back with an army next time. And then she has to take this cord that they give her. They give her this red cord, and she must tie the cord in the window as a way for the Israelites when they come to identify her house. And that cord apparently would, would be so visible as to make it very obvious where she lived. And she's to place this highly visible cord in her window, and then to make sure that all of the members of her family are in that house, and then she is to watch and wait. Now, she does it, and her faith is on display by her submission to the word of the Lord. She did what her Lord commanded, and indeed, she gathers her family, and as we'll see, she puts that red cord in the window, and she waits. She does what her new Lord commands, and don't you remember the words of the Lord, Jesus himself saying in John, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, 
He it is who loves me. She loves the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who saved her. She loves her Lord, and so she is obedient to her Lord. She says, speak, Lord, for your servant listens, and she does exactly what they say. But there are other actions. There are other actions that she engages in. She defied the earthly powers. You can see this all over the text. Rahab is standing up to the world by obeying the Lord. She is turning her back on the world. At grave personal risk, she is defying the orders of the king who came to her house and said to her, bring these men out, and then she misled him. So she's defying the earthly powers. She is strategizing against the kingdom of this king and his gods. She is making plans to destroy the enemy of Yahweh. And those plans would lead to the flattening of this city called Jericho. She is abandoning her old world. You see that? She is no longer a citizen of Jericho. That's not her world, and those are not her people, and those people's God is not her God. And so she defies the world. She stands against the world. She no longer loves that world or the things of that world. She has been transferred by grace, moved eternally, powerfully, relocated by God's mercy, from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. She loved Yahweh now. Now her delight was in the law of the Lord. Her love for her Savior moved her to count the cost of following him, and she counted it, and she paid it by faith, and she would receive an eternal inheritance, just as Abraham Receive the promise of the inheritance. Rahab too would receive it by faith as she stood against the world. She would inherit the inheritance of the saints in light. She would forsake that which she could not keep to gain that which she could never lose. She would give up the world to find eternal life. She would give up the world that is passing away. And she would treasure eternal life in the name of this sovereign God who visited her city one day to save her. She turned her back on the world. She was no longer of the world. She belonged to the Lord, an evidence of faith. And then there's that other action I've been hinting at. It's kind of ironic to call it an action. It's really an inaction. She does nothing. By faith, she does nothing. She waits. And you can read it for yourself. Three more chapters will unfold in Joshua before we get to chapter 6 and salvation comes. Three more chapters. A lot's going to happen in three chapters. Three chapters will go by. Rahab has her family there. Cord hanging in the window. watching, waiting, being obedient day by day to look out the window and to see, hopefully, the army of the Lord coming over the hill. 
all the while keeping a very big secret. In this time of waiting, she will have to be faithful and true and dedicated. She will have to believe that the God of Israel is going to come. Everything rests on that. Can you imagine, can you imagine if they don't come? The treasonous plot of Rahab will be discovered by the king, and she and her family will be executed for their crimes against the state. If the Lord doesn't come, she is smoked, she is toast, she is dead. She can only watch and wait and believe the promise. And she does. I can imagine every morning she wakes up and she says, could this be the day? Could this be the day? And sundown comes. And then another sunrise. Is this the day? Is this the day the Lord is going to come? I know he's coming because he said he was going to come, and I believe it. And I've got to prove I believe it by staying here and doing nothing but watching and waiting. And she does. She walks completely by faith and not by sight. It is a walk of quiet trust in God's promises. She knows whom she has believed. And she is convinced that he is able to deliver everything he promised. She waits and she holds on to the word. She's been saved. Oh, her soul is is saved. But the day of her salvation, the day of her vindication has not yet come. She is just like us, watching and waiting, saved but waiting for our final redemption. And in that time of faithful waiting, she is an example to you and me. Quiet trust in a sovereign God. The New Testament makes makes the case explicitly clear that Rahab did everything she did by faith. And notice this distinction. The Lord had sent his grace to Jericho, oddly enough, oddly enough, 1,400 years later, you know where Jesus will go one day to save one person? He will go to Jericho. 1,400 years later, he will walk through and walk past Hundreds of people lining the street that he could have saved, and he'll find one man in a sycamore tree. Strangely, it's like Rahab. The Lord goes back to Jericho, and he saves one person. And this is happening for the first time in Rahab's story. And grace works for her. Grace works for her. Grace transforms her. Grace saves her. But now, now grace is working, working in her. Grace is transforming her. And so this new love and new obedience explode in her young Christian heart, we might say. There's the fruit of faith. And it's all to the glory of the mighty God who mercifully reached down all the way to wicked Jericho to save one woman and her family. Now that's why the New Testament says... If you want to know what it is like to be a person who trusts Christ, think about that prostitute named Rahab. Because she is an example of grace working for us and grace working in us. Grace justifying us and grace sanctifying us. Rahab the harlot.
I want you to think as we prepare to come to the table this morning about three, three simple connections that we make. You know, all along in our very, very lengthy sermon series on the great redemptive actions of God in Scripture, we're trying to make connections between the old and the new, between the old covenant, the new covenant. And here are three that I want you to think about as we come to the table of the Lord, as we think about how this sermon, and more importantly, how this text shows us the place of Rahab in the story of salvation. First, we note the power of the one gospel to transform a believing sinner. There is one gospel. There is one gospel, not several. 1,400 years before Christ came, Rahab was saved by the same gospel that saved you. One gospel, one story. It progressively moves from old covenant types and shadows into the new covenant fulfillment. And Rahab has experienced the transforming grace of God. Grace found her in the condition worse than you would want to try to describe to your children. So far from salvation. Involved in a trade that in any culture is despicable. And think of the twistedness of someone's heart to to do that. And yet this one gospel has saved and transformed her heart. And that should encourage us. There is no one who has descended too deep into sin that Jesus can't save. If he can save and transform and use Rahab, then he can save and transform and use you and me. The one gospel, and that one gospel is enough to justify us and to sanctify us, to remove us from the wrath of God, to clothe us with Christ's righteousness, And to begin transforming us into new people. The one simple gospel. But there's another connection I want you to think about. Think about how weak and how utterly foolish this plan appears to be. If you were going to change the world, would you start at a brothel? Is that where you would start? If you were looking for people to join your cause and change the world, would you go to a brothel? Would you go to a fish camp and find a bunch of fishermen, uneducated fishermen, lowly fishermen? If you were going to save the world, would you send a king who dies on a cross? Born to an obscure family from an obscure village, a no-name, can anything good come from there, asked one of his own disciples. Would you save the world like that? But you see, the Lord's gospel is foolishness to the world. It is weak to the world. There is no glitz and glamour here. There are no spotlights here. There are no celebrities in this story. It looks weak and foolish and downright stupid. 
But the gospel is the power of God to salvation. And by saving the Rahabs of the world, the power and the wisdom of God is on display. By saving the world through a crucified Messiah, the wisdom, the power, the glory of God is displayed in infinite grandeur. And that's how God works. The weak and the foolish, the powerless. To shame the powerful and the intelligent so that no one will boast before God. And then third, the beautiful evidence of a lively faith in Christ. Here it is on display in Rahab. Do you know Rahab's Savior? Do you know him personally or just incidentally and casually? Have you trusted the Savior Rahab trusted? Do you belong to him by grace through faith? Do you love your Savior? Do you love his word? Do you love his people? Do you love to worship with his people? Do you love hearing his book, his word expounded? Do you love praying with his people and confessing your sins with the covenant community? Do you belong to the people whom Yahweh has claimed as his own or are you just casually interested? Is your faith a lively faith? Have you counted the cost for following Jesus? Or are you just following Jesus when your schedule permits you? These are the questions the life of Rahab screams at us. Do you just follow along when it costs you nothing and there's no danger and you're not going to lose anything and it will not disrupt your life? Or have you come to meet the one who is worthy of every sacrifice we could give him? Have you counted that cost? These are the questions Rahab would ask you. Do you know the Savior that saved her? Is your faith a lively faith? Is it alive? Is it real? And now you know why the New Testament, as strange as it sounds, holds up this woman of ill repute and says, if you want to know what a Christian is, go find that ex-prostitute and she'll show you. And so may the story of Rahab bless God's people. May it encourage us. May it spur us on to love and to good works that bring glory to our Father in heaven and extend his gospel to the world. Would you join me in prayer? Oh, Father, we stand before you condemned apart from Christ. And we have no righteousness on our own. And while we might sneer at the story of Rahab, we too are men and women of harlotry. Our hearts have chased after other gods. And we too are guilty of the vilest offenses. We're no better than she. And we give you praise that for so many of us here this morning, you came to our Jericho and saved us. Thank you for the mercy it took to redeem even one of us.
much less all of us. And we pray, Father, that our faith will be on display for your glory and for a testimony to the nations that the God who saved us is indeed above all heavens and all powers on earth and below the earth and above the earth and that Jesus truly is Lord. Father, would you begin working out in our own hearts the evidence that you've truly saved us? Love and mercy and selflessness and sacrifice and devotion to you and your kingdom and your word and your people. Father, would you produce the evidence of a hunger for righteousness, a hunger to walk the way of truth. Oh, Father, would you, would you cause us to, to so cherish Christ that all other affections will look like hatred and compared to our love for your Son? Oh, Father, you've worked for us. Would you work in us? Would you turn us into people who, in some fractional way, reflect back to you the image of your Son? And one day we know, as you glorify us, we will be radiant, sharing the very glory of Jesus. But until we get there, would you, Father, bit by bit, turn us into a holy and peculiar people, a people for your own possession, zealous for good deeds. And then, Father, we pray, if there are those here this morning who indeed are like Rahab and maybe for the first time are hearing about the great deeds of the Lord, maybe for the first time hearing the gospel, would you, Father, empower them to believe and to repent and to come running to Jesus, confessing that he is Lord and there are no other lords and trusting in him alone to save them. Would you do that even in this room this morning? Would you bring salvation to someone's home? And now, dear Father, bless us as your children to come to this table that you've prepared for us, to be fed on the blood and the body of Jesus, to find our Lord here and our nourishment here, our strength here. And we pray that by our taking that you will be glorified. And in that name, we pray. Amen.